On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about the downloading from the provincial government to the municipal governments, specifically Hamilton. What does this mean for the city? How much money are we actually talking about? And truly, while it's probably not going to be all that popular, is it something that we have to do anyway? Even if we don't like it, is it something we have to do? We'll be talking about that. Also, Rick Zamperin joins me to talk about the Tiger Cats. They won... That's the important thing, but there are still questions. Rick still has questions about their quarterback, and speaking of quarterbacks, what does the CFL do about the fact that almost all of its starting quarterbacks are now on the injured list? We'll talk about that right now. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. What happened today was in front of about 2,000 mayors and city managers and other high-ranking municipal officials from across Ontario, Premier Ford announced the province will be cutting some of its funding for cities, as I say, as it promised some months ago, uh, and then delayed doing that because the cities all said, wait a second, our budgets are already done. You can't do this to us right now. And so the premier said, okay, fine, we'll wait. But you knew it was coming. Anyway, a number of areas are going to be hit by these cutbacks. The two that are getting the most attention are public health and daycare. There are others as well. And there is no question, I don't think, that when you talk to someone, and we will in just a moment, from any city, anyone who sits around a council table, they're going to say that these cuts are going to lead to some kind of sting. It's going to require something to be done. But the question is, in addition to that, is it just something we have to accept and sort of almost latch onto as a necessity? For living in a province right now that is swimming in debt and is trying to unload or at least down downgrade the deficit that it is operating. Is this just one of the costs of doing business in Ontario right now? Let me bring in Ward 2 Councillor Jason Ward, or Jason Farr. Ward, Jason Ward, where did that name come from? Former Hamilton Bulldog. You almost got called a former Hamilton Bulldog captain, Councillor Farr, but... Um, I'll take it. Some days, I'll you know. I'll take it. Uh, Councillor Jason Farr. Let me try that one again. Uh, you understand, I have no doubt, you understand what the province is trying to do. Um, is what they're trying to do a reasonable goal? Let's start there. Uh, well, they did say they were going to have to, during the campaign, uh, seriously address this deficit. And there's no doubt we have a very serious deficit in Ontario. I can't be on the Scott Radley show defending today's move or even last week's move or previous moves. Uh, given the circumstances. Well, no, I was going to say whether I was going to say even if you agree, Jason, you probably weren't going to agree with the method today. There, there's lots of hurt going on. Well, I'll tell you something. You had me thinking on your preamble. Um, that, you know, I got to I got to wonder. Ford, uh, you know, did pull back. He made these announcements and then pulled back on these announcements as it related to cuts with childcare and health. Uh, and ambulances in the Knicks. Uh, about six, seven months ago, we said all of us across Ontario, major cities, uh, made a lot of noise, and people like you covered it, saying we just closed our budgets, and now you're telling us that we have to find another this and that. And he backed off. And when he did, uh, when his government did, uh, he or his finance minister said, we'll take this time and consult. Well, that consultation, unless you know something I don't, didn't happen until today, and of all the places, you got to give it to Ford. He stands up there at the podium in front of, as you say, an AMO conference, an association of municipalities of, across Ontario, where 
All of the leaders from all of the municipalities are there, and he decides this perhaps is his consult that he that he promised. Um, I'm sure uh, the room was stunned for the most part because when you start getting into the numbers, it's uh, pretty significant, particularly for the larger cities. And it's health. I mean, you know, if health and safety aren't the primary goals of any government, it's 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 a tough it's a tough cut. And it's a tough announcement, and he made those announcements today, and uh, clearly he's committed to making those cuts today. But, but you know, we're still trying to figure out exactly what was said. And, and, and the one thing I will say, uh, which, which kind of caught me off guard, and uh, kudos to at least one piece of that speech, Scott, 4% increase to land ambulances, because any kind of cut in this municipality particularly, uh, when we've just enhanced those services and we want to continue to uh, keep an eye on those services because the calls just keep coming and coming and coming, keep hearing about the code zeros. Yep. Um, we were we were pleased, I think, in the city to hear that there's a 4% increase. The, the big one, and again, you mentioned it, the one that's getting the most attention is public health care. Mm-hmm. What, what do you understand that to mean? Is that health care period or is that a particular branch of health care as you understand what that means? No, our municipal government has uh, the public health office. It's actually a board of directors, the public health board of directors, and I sit on it, all councillors do, and the mayor chairs it. Councillor Maureen Wilson Ward, one is the vice chair. We never had a vice chair before this term, but it's good that we do. And uh, so you're not talking about hospitals, you're talking about health services provided to the municipality, from the municipality through uh, the health department, and that health department is overseen, and the budget particularly is overseen by by councillors on the Board of Health. And do you know roughly, and I'm, you don't have it in front of you, I'm sure, but do you know roughly what the budget is for that, for yes. the city? Oh, no. Of course, yeah, 38 to $40 million. And so with, with, with the 38 to $40 million annualized, that we are now going to be 30% responsible for, where it's sort of been, for the most part, a 75-25 split, now going to a 70-30 split, it's very significant, but this confusing part, one of the confusing parts, and I had a chance about an hour ago to speak with our general manager of Healthy Safe Communities. You've had him on your program before, Mr. Paul Johnson, and, and we're a little confused on, but don't worry, cities, says Ford in his announcement to all the mayors and all the councillors today across Ontario. We're going to cap it at 10%. So how do you say 30 and we're going to cap it at 10 Still trying to figure out the numbers. And again, on the consultation side, really, unless you count today, there has been... There has been none since the pullback of this uh, particular uh, downloading exercise or this latest downloading exercise in the province to municipalities. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. We're chatting with Councillor Jason Farr about the announcement today from Doug Ford, Premier Doug Ford, about some of the downloading that the province will be doing on municipalities. Public health, daycare, ambulances will be in there as well. Uh, Jason, here's the thing. I, I Would I be correct? I, I'm just assuming, but would I be correct that at some point when it comes around to budget time in Hamilton this year coming up, that the likely repercussion of this is that we're going to see some increased taxes in the city of Hamilton? <laughs> it's It's certainly on everyone's mind when we you know, endure what we've been enduring over the course of, I'd say, the last couple of months particularly. I mean, last week, uh, two long care uh, homes that we, long care homes that we manage as a municipality, cut $550,000. Today's announcement, 30% covering all your health services. 
um, and, and, and really acknowledgement from the, uh, not pompous, but sometimes pompous provincial government that they're going to continue this. Um, we're definitely having the hardest conversation on, on, on keeping the line on taxes at a municipal level than I've had in at least my time. And we're, we're approaching 10 years of an average that's much lower, sometimes the lowest in the province without cutting services from the municipality of Hamilton, hovering around 2% while other cities, Halton and others around us and across the province over the course of that same decade, 3 4 5%. And we're now in the middle of the pack on, on municipal taxes, uh, whereas we were you know, not at all competitive 10 years ago. So we've worked very, very hard at keeping the municipal portion of the taxes as low as possible and consistently hovering around 2 if not lower, and being amongst the lowest, if not the lowest. And so this year, everyone I'm speaking to, my colleagues, uh, finance staff, and, 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 our, and our senior staff in the different divisions, it is a major challenge ahead of us. And that budget begins in just a few short weeks. It lasts about five months. And these kinds of downloading exercises, and there's no other way to define it. It's, it's the province saying, we used to take care of it. We're not taking care of it anymore. You're going to take care of it. That's downloading, and it's been going on, and 50% of our budget in this municipality is the product of downloading. Just ask Councilor Marula, he reminds us every budget time. And the other thing, uh, quite wisely during budget time, that Ward 4, Sam, often reminds us is we we collect 5% of your taxes, but we get 100% of the focus. And that's a direct quote hmm. uh, from that councillor, and it is so true. And, you know, the province knows this. And, and so early on in mandates, this government, and I'm not going to pick on Ford, previous provincial governments of different stripes will do the same thing because we'll do it early in the mandate. We'll download it over here to the municipalities. Two, three years later, people are going to forget, and, and, and it becomes a, a, a hyper-local or a localized problem. And, it, and all the focus will be on the local municipality and it is and i'm not just talking on the focus on the local politicians although it certainly is the case scott it's also on the on the bureaucrats and the and the, and the managers and even the frontline people that deliver the services if you're at the rec center working the desk and all of a sudden those swim lessons go up you know 15 well let me jump in there for a sec let me let me jump sure. in for a sec because there's no doubt this is a download i mean no one i don't think anyone's going to take issue with that word that's what it is you're absolutely correct this is downloading but we also know, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, we also know that we in Ontario, when you look at our debt, have been living beyond our means. So in my mind, something has to be done. I don't know if this is the answer, but something has to be done to get our spending under control in this entire province somehow. Again, I, I, whether this is the answer or not, it does make me wonder though, Jason, if this is going to continue to be downloaded, do we have to, in the city, start to take a look? I don't think people want to lose health care. I don't think people want to lose essential services do we have to start looking at the the non-essential services in the city and saying, you know what, we, we simply can't afford them, or you're going to have to pay for some of those non-essential services now where you got them for free before if we want to maintain the stuff that we really think is essential? It's all of the above, and we can add to it, Scott. It, absolutely. And as I say, this is going to be the toughest budget session yet at the municipal level. I'm sure Hamilton is not alone, but we are an older city and we have huge challenges just on infrastructure and the funding that we're always promised but never always receive and those sorts of things. So so we have greater in social services, so frankly we have probably the greatest challenges in that area per capita in Ontario. 
Um, so, so there's there's a number of challenges that we have year in year out that I think we've faced head on, and we've 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 appropriately gone about our business with some very good people, particularly from finance, and and some very astute counselors at budget time over year over year over year. This year is the biggest challenge yet, and absolutely all those things you're talking about, and then some are going to be discussed, and 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 there are going to be harder decisions this budget session than I've seen in my time, and that's nearly a decade. I, I don't, I can't disagree with you. I think that it will be, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, and you don't have to say this, A, because I won't put you on the spot right now, and B, because we're out of time, where it falls on council lines about who is fighting for what. It's going to be a fascinating thing to watch around the city council table this year. And I'm sure we'll have you back on when that's going on to talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, Councillor Jason Farr, appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to talk about something. You've heard this discussed today. You've probably read about this. It's been one of the stories of the day today. It's about a, it's about a guy named Jihadi Jack. That's not, his, of course, his real name. His real name is Jack Letts. But he is known as Jihadi Jack. And the story about Jihadi Jack is this, in short. He was called that when he left Britain... He has both British and Canadian citizenship. He had a British and Canadian passport. He was living, I guess, in Britain, left to go to northern Syria, converted to Islam at a young age. He's now 24, left the country to join ISIS. Uh, Eventually settled in an ISIS stronghold, was arrested in 2017 and imprisoned. Now, his entire family has dual citizenship, including him, British and Canadian. And why this story came up again is because the British government has announced that it is revoking his British citizenship. You want to go and fight for a group, not a country per se, but you want to go fight for a group that is actively warring with our country, that has committed terrorist acts, that is seen as a terrorist organization around the world. If you want to go and... I guess it's not too strong a word to say be a traitor to your country. If you want to go and fight against the things your country stands for, Britain is saying, yeah, we're not, you're not a Brit anymore. And they have revoked his passport. They've revoked his citizenship, which of course has put Canada in a bad spot because two reasons. One, our government has said, you are a Canadian. You are always a Canadian. We will not revoke any passports. We will not revoke your citizenship. Doesn't matter what you do. You may go to jail. And the prime minister today or yesterday said this, it's a crime to travel internationally with a goal of supporting terrorism or engaging in terrorism. That is a crime we will continue to make all attempts to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. That is the message we have for Canadians and anyone involved, Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau said, speaking to reporters in Quebec City on Monday. But when asked if Canada might revoke his citizenship as the British government has done, he did not answer that because he has said previously, we don't do that. If you're a Canadian, you're a Canadian. That was, that came up early in his mandate, early in his term. So now we have this situation where if Jihadi Jack, as we now know him, ever gets released, well, he's not going to go to Britain because he's not a citizen there. He's only a citizen of one country, which means... We'll be taking him back here. Now, he may go to prison for a time, but it won't be for the rest of his life. So we will be taking back a prisoner who is a Canadian citizen, 
a terrorist, a, someone who, or at least someone who sympathizes, someone who has worked, someone who has joined a terrorist group, and he'll be coming back to Canada where in time, presumably he will be out and about. And even if he says, ah, oh, you know what? I don't really buy that anymore. Well, mm, not everyone is going to be, I don't think entirely comforted by that. So the question I think is this, and I want to hear from you, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Do you believe Canada should revoke citizenships? Do you think Canada should revoke passports? Not for every crime, not even for major crimes, specifically for the crime of turning against your country, of, of going, of joining somebody who was fighting or warring or working diligently against your country. If you have essentially said, I am now fighting for the other team, should we say, fine then, thank you for being here. Please turn in your passport on the way out because it's no good anymore. You have made your decision. And again, we're not talking about someone who's 11 or 12. We're not talking about somebody whose mom or dad dragged them over to this other country, right? That's a completely different story. If you've got an 11 or a 12 year old who is being taken there against their will or without the ability to make a decision as an adult, that is not what I'm talking about. And I don't think anyone else is. This is a person who is, this is a person who is an adult who is able to make a proper decision. What do you think? Should we take away citizenship? Should Canada take away citizenship if a person chooses to go and fight for the other side? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Would love to hear from you. Give us a call. Because I'm on the, I, I say yes. I am absolutely on the side of yes. I am not on the side of yes of revoking someone's citizenship if they steal a car. I, I don't believe you, you start going down the, the slippery slope here. I think you make it very specific. I'm not even I'm not even saying that you revoke someone's citizenship for committing murder. That's a crime within the country. It's a horrible crime. It's something you're going to pay the penalty for. But I'm arguing that if you commit an act against your own country, I don't see that we need to be protecting your citizenship and keeping you as a Canadian. If you've chosen to go the other way, if you've made that choice, I am fine with Canada saying thank you very much and doing exactly what Britain did because now we find ourselves in a really tight spot here. What do we do? What do we do? Except take him back and someday have him running around the streets of Canada, hopefully with good intentions, hopefully having cleared this off his palate and out of his mind and out of his psyche and out of his philosophy, but you don't know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about Jihadi Jack. If you don't know the story, it is a British-Canadian dual citizenship 24-year-old who left Britain, or holds a Canadian passport as well, left Britain to go join ISIS over in Syria, was eventually captured, and now his family is trying to get him back here. But Britain has revoked his citizenship. They said, no, no, if you've gone to fight for the other side against us, your British, your British citizenship is no good. Canada's now ticked off at Britain, by the way, for doing this because it's put us in a bind now. Because we've said, we don't do that, which means we're going to have to take this guy back, and which leads, my to, leads me to my question. 
Should we rethink this? Should we be revoking people's citizenships, not for every crime, not for everything we don't like, but for acts of treason, for acts of joining countries that are or groups that are fighting against us, for specifically choosing to fight against us? Simple. Should we be considering revoking citizenship? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Don is up first today. Don, how are you? What do you think about this, Don? I think nobody should have dual citizenship. You're Canadian, Canadian. You're British, you're British. If you want to immigrate to Canada, then that's your choice. You denounce your own country. You don't have to denounce it uh, violently or anything like that. But and treason should be an ex. I believe treason is the one offense that's still executable in under the Canadian Charter of Rights. But I'm not 100 percent so, sure on that. So, Don, if you're saying that you should revoke what you you have one citizenship and you revoke the other, I would guess then that you would believe that when he left to go join ISIS, he should have revoked his Canadian citizenship to be over there. It should have been, once it was confirmed that he was there and it was his own choice. Right. Yes, you lose your citizenship. Don, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Take care. Let me go next to Tony. Tony, how are you today? Not too bad. How's yourself? I'm great, thank you. What do you think about this? Well, I remember not too, uh, too many years ago, we had a uh, German uh, concentration camp. A uh, man had been in, in Canada for God knows how long. And he was about 80 years old and then shipped over for checking for war crimes. And they revoked his uh, Canadian citizenship Mm. because uh, uh, he came to Canada and they said, oh, well, he lied about his uh, papers and And stuff like this. And Tony, now that one, see there, great point, because we've had other examples of this with people who are terrorists who have told stories and got citizenship or, or got their papers. That's a different story because you had committed the crimes before you came to Canada so they said, we'll revoke those. You're absolutely right about that. Well, well you shouldn't have even got in, but anyway. Well, that, I, I don't disagree with that point either. That's, that's right, too. Oh, but Well, one of the things I, I kind of agree with, uh, with the one there, uh, if you turn your back on your country, Canada, yes, uh, and you say, I don't want to obey your, your laws, I don't want to do this, uh, I don't want to participate in your country in any way, shape, or form, and they go somewhere else, then they have no right to come back. Well, it, it does seem a little rich, does it not, Tony, that you say, I'm not going to like Canada, I'm, not, I'm against Canada, and then I get in trouble and go, oh, Canada, help me, please. Right. Uh, that, that does seem a little a little rich for me, for me that, you know, you, you didn't like us enough at the beginning. You were willing to fight against us until you ran into trouble, and now you come crawling. Well, one of the things that, that a lot of these people, uh, you know, when, when they're saying that, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, uh, it's like uh, having your cake and eat it too. Exactly. No, exactly. Uh, exactly. Where you, where you don't want it, you want to go do something else, but you want to make sure you got a chance to, if something goes wrong there, safety so net. You can run back home. It's a safety net. Yeah, just like young kids that want to come back home after they get into trouble financially or whatever, and they come home to mom and dad. Can we live in your basement? Tony, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Right then. Let me go to Paul. Paul, how are you? Good, how are you, Scott? I'm great. What do you think about this, Paul? <laughs> I think the fact that you're even having this discussion, this debate with people, the fact that our Prime Minister even 
you know, allows this to happen is ludicrous. The guy's a terrorist, period. He is not a Canadian citizen. You take away citizenship. He made his choices. Nobody else made it for him. See, that's here's where I'm with you, Paul, because if this was a 12-year-old kid whose parents had taken him over there, I would say I even if you may have done some bad stuff over there, I would be willing and happy to bring that kid back because it wasn't their choice to turn their back on Canada. I agree. It's not the kid's fault. But this is different. This is different to me. Paul, this, this, this is completely different. And, and I mean, like, enough of the bleeding hearts. Like, Paul, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Right. Let me go to Judy. Judy, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How Excellent. Are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this? I can't, I can't believe, like Paul said, why we're even talking about this. This guy isn't a little kid that needs to come back home to me and live in my basement because he can't, he can't get a job and he can't do this and he can't do that. This guy is a terrorist, and he could do anything back here. He'll still have his connections and everything. He should not be allowed back in this country, and I don't know why we're even discussing it. It should be just cut and dried. Do what it, does it matter to you, Judy? And we got to only have a few seconds here. Does it matter to you whether or not he actually committed acts of violence, or is it simply enough that he went and joined that group? It's enough. It's enough because it, somehow it has to be even be made an example of. You go over there, you're going over there to kill people, and if you don't, you come back and say, well, I didn't do it, but you went there in the first place. Send him back. Don't let him come here. Judy, thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, bye. Uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Where do you stand on this? Should Canada consider revoking citizenships of Canadians who go and join the other side in the war against terror or in a war period, any kind of war? This is a war. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting about Jihadi Jack. Once again, just for those joining us, he is a British Canadian, had dual citizenship, went over to Syria, joined ISIS. Now 24, he's been in a Kurdish prison for a couple of years. Britain has just revoked his citizenship saying, no, if you're going to fight for the other side against us, you are no longer a British citizen. This means, because Canada has said, we don't do this stuff. And the prime minister was questioned about it today and he didn't disagree with that earlier position he had taken. Probably at some point, he, Jihadi Jack is going to end up maybe in a Canadian prison, but eventually free in all likelihood. So should Canada be renewing its or reviewing its position that says we don't revoke citizenship for terrorists? Let me go to Al first. Al, how are you? Uh, yes. Uh, I think the only redeeming factor that he could use here is if he was treated as a reverse spy where he could supply enough information to bring the Al-Qaeda down. Okay, and if that's the case, and I don't disagree, so if you want to make him a double agent, um, who knows how you'd be able to do that when he's still in the Kurdish prison. You'd have to get him to come back to Canada, I guess, and then send him back there again. And I'm pretty sure that even the ISIS people are smart enough at this point to say, yeah, that may be a little too risky to bring him back into our confidence. But if that's the case, Al, if you could do it, not a bad idea. I appreciate your call. Let me go, by the way, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Glenn is up next. Glenn, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Sir? I'm great, thanks. What do you think about this? Okay, so let's start off with, you've got to let him back. you got no choice. 
he's a Canadian citizen, he comes back to this country. And my, my reasoning for it is, first of all, put the shoe on the other foot. If somebody, say, from Great Britain, who had affiliation with ISIS, came over to this country and then started committing acts of terrorism, as has happened in the past, where people were here and took all their training and then went down and rented a plane or got on an aircraft and committed acts of treason. So now they're in Canada where they're being followed or they're being tracked, whatever. They commit an offense. So now they've committed an offense. They're put in jail. No different than this guy here, Jack, right? So now he's in jail. He's here in Canada. We want to deport him at the end of his term. They have revoked his citizenship in Great Britain. Where do we deport him to? How do we get him out of our country? We got nowhere to deport him to. Now we're stuck with him. So this guy's over there. Yep. He does his time. He did the crime. He does his time. Whatever they choose to do with him over there, as far as the length of time in jail or whatever, when he is released, they want to deport him. He comes back here to Canada. He goes on a watch list. The RCMP ceases. They follow him. They track him. He commits an offense here. Then he goes to jail for it, and he's held in prison here. Glenn, I appreciate He's still a Canadian citizen. And to correct Don's thing about treason or terrorism is the only thing that is executable in this country. There is no execution anymore in Canada whatsoever. That came out the day that Pierre Trudeau became the Prime Minister. I thought that was correct. Uh, thank you for clarifying. I wasn't sure, but I, I was surprised to know or to think that we still had any kind of capital punishment in this country, but apparently we don't. in the Criminal Code of Canada. Glenn, thanks for clarifying that. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Scott. Let me go to Butch, who has been waiting patiently. Butch, how are you? Hey, I'm just fine. What do you think about this? Well, I'm confused. Okay. Um, a man with dual citizenship, and Canada has its face in a knot because Britain stood up and said, we don't want this guy. Well, so yes, now, and because we've that, previously said we do not revoke citizenship, so we really are in a bind where we can't really now undo it. Yeah, so we're stuck with him, but we got our face in a knot because Britain has made a decision, and now it's our decision, and we can't make a decision. Butch, I appreciate your call. It is it is a conundrum for sure. Let me go to one more. We just got time for Randy. Let me get Randy in quickly. Randy, how are you? I'm good. How are I'm you good. Doing? You got about 15 seconds. What oh, do you man. think about this? I, okay, the uh, way things are going, I think uh, no matter what the court said, they can change whatever they want. I think our man Trudeau would probably just do what he wants, meet the guy at the airport, give him a check for $10 million, welcome back to Canada, and go have a good time. Well... Thank you for the call, Randy. I appreciate that. I'm not going to be that cynical about Trudeau. I don't think that he's going to meet this guy at the airport. I would hope that's not the case. This is different from the other one. I would hope. I would hope. This one seems to be causing problems. I would hope, and I don't believe for a second that our prime minister would do that, but we have put ourselves into a very difficult spot here. By saying we don't do this, when other countries start to do it, we're left holding the bag. Unless we decide to revisit this. Interesting, the vast majority, the vast weight of the callers saying, well, of course, it's obvious. Well, to, to us, to me, to you, apparently not to everybody. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Hour number two of the Scott Radley Show. Thanks for being here today. Glad you are along. Hoping not all of you are away on vacation. Clearly from the last segment with everybody calling, there's some people still in Hamilton. Man, it seems like a lot of people are off on vacation this week and last week. It's like everybody decided the middle two weeks of August were when we were going to go away on vacation. Don't blame you. I do not blame you. I'm just saying, a lot of people away. But I'm glad you're here, if you're joining us. In just a moment, we are going to be chatting about what happened on the weekend with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but more specifically with the fact that the CFL seems to have a very big problem all of a sudden. And that is almost all of the starting quarterbacks from all of the nine teams. Seven of the nine who started opening day, who are the starters, out, injured, no longer playing, at least not for now. That is an issue. If you're running a league, you want your stars on the field. That is a big issue. But is there anything, is there anything you can actually do about it? You can't, I mean, you can't make it touch football. You can't say, oh, the, you know, the quarterbacks will wear a flag. Just pull the flag out of their out of their waistband, and it's like flag football. No, no, it's it's got to be tackle football. But what do you do? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, first up, first up, let me give you your quiz question. Oh, in the bottom of the hour, let me tell you what's coming up at the bottom of the hour. My, we had some family members who are traveling, family members all over the place who are traveling this week, coming back, going to cottages, all the rest of the stuff. So we are going to be counting down the top 10 songs about traveling. This is a list that could have been 70 songs long. There are so many songs about traveling, about being on the road. It is amazing how many people, how many artists have penned and written and performed songs about traveling. The wanderlust is real in the music world, let me tell you. We'll get to that all in just a minute. First, let me give you your quiz question. And uh, this is a history quiz question. So those of you who know your history will will hopefully get this one. And as I said last hour, I made a little boo-boo on Friday, just in case anyone missed it the first hour, because it ties into this quiz question. On Friday, I got my Canadian and American history briefly mixed up. And I said in World War II, Canada took a little while to get in. I was thinking of the Americans. I just, I I apologize. Uh, It was the Americans who waited till... Pearl Harbor before getting in Canada was in right off the bat. So blew that one. I knew it. I just, the wrong synapse fired in my brain. But that ties into today's quiz question. Not my mistake, the World War II. This day in 1934, Adolf Hitler was elected president of Germany. In what country was Adolf Hitler born? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. In what country was Adolf Hitler born? The numbers one more time. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. So on the weekend, the Ticats played a game against Ottawa. Ottawa is, by all measures in the CFL this year, mediocre at best. Adequate. Okay. Not good, not bad, probably leaning more towards the bad, but adequate. They won 21 to 7. And so, yeah, you get the win and you're now 7 and 2. You're halfway through the season. It's the best record the Ticats have had since 1998 at the midway point of the season. All looks rainbows and unicorns. 
But Rick Zamperin on his commentary this morning or yesterday, I'm not even sure when it went up there, but in the last day or so, raises the question, Ticats are winning, but jury is still out on QB Dane Evans. Let me bring in the, oops, I just hung up on him. We will try and call him right back. I was going to say, let me bring in the cynic and the skeptic. <laughs> I hung up on him. He's going to think that I'm dumping on his opinion. Not not the case. I Our phones are being very funny today. If you're calling in and you're having a little trouble, then um, it's not you. It's us. It's not you. It's us. Anyway, I'm going to get Rick back on here because... Uh, I jostled him off the line. But the question is, Dane Evans, who is in for Jeremiah Masoli. Now we've got Rick Zamperin. Rick, how are you? Hello, how are you? There we go. I jostled you off the line before. I wasn't hanging up on you. Your piece was great. It wasn't that I was, you know, making a statement by hanging up on you. (laughs) I was thinking, wow, you know, he invites me on the show, says hello, and then bam, out of there. So you, you though, raise, let's get right into this, because you do raise the point that I think a lot of people are thinking right now. When the Ticats had Jeremiah Masoli, the rest of the league this year, you know, I, I don't know if it's all the quarterbacks, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes, but there is nobody in the CFL this year that is really blowing me away. This is a league that right now looks largely mediocre across the board, and as long as the Ticats had Jeremiah Masoli, you said, I don't really see any reason they don't win the Grey Cup this year. He gets hurt, you get Dane Evans, I think you raised the question that a lot of people have. They're winning, but are they really any good? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, football is measured in wins and losses. And right now this team has a bunch more wins than losses. You know, they're 7-2, and two, tops in the CFL East. As a matter of fact, tops in the CFL, because they have the tiebreaker currently over Winnipeg after their head-to-head matchup a few weeks ago. Um, so that's all well and good. And this team is playing well. I don't think they're playing up to... Uh, what they can be playing, uh, whether it's Masoli or any other quarterback uh, on uh, on this Ticats roster. But at the end of the day, uh, Dane Evans is bringing you know something to the table. But he is, at least to me, and I'm sure others are feeling this as well, he's leaving me wanting more. He'll have a great drive uh, in the first quarter and maybe a great drive in the third quarter and a fantastic drive in the fourth quarter. But everywhere else in between, all those drives, some two and outs, some interceptions, stall drives, uh, missed opportunities. This team, and you know, Saturday wasn't necessarily a microcosm of, of the Dane Evans offensive experience, but it, this team's leaving too many points on the board. And basically, what I'm suggesting is they, they can't do that against the better teams in this league. And I know they've already beaten Calgary, and I know they've already beaten Winnipeg, two of the top teams in the CFL. They're going to be playing Edmonton in a couple of weeks' time, another you know, uh, top team. They've already split against Saskatchewan, which right now has a winning record. But come the, uh, the, the murderer's row of schedule, and I'm sure we'll get into this when they play Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg and then Edmonton again, uh, that's going to be tough. Three straight on the road. Uh, it's towards the latter part of the season. It's after Labor Day. That's going to be a tough stretch. And I think Dane Evans is going to have to play his best for this team to continue to win. If he doesn't, that's a lot of pressure on the defense, a lot of pressure on the special teams, game in and game out, to rescue the offense or do their part and so much more because they know that the offense can only give them maybe a couple of touchdowns again. Can I just say that when you referred to it as the Dane Evans offensive experience, that sounded like a name of a band that should have been playing at Woodstock. 
That would have been a classic band. If I you're can an, hear them now. If you're a Hamilton band just getting started and you're thinking, we don't have a cool name, the <laughs> Dane Evans Offensive Experience would be the Hamilton. I think Arkells should actually change their name to that. Well, there you go. And, you know, I call it that because it is... An experience. A work in, well, it's a work in progress as well. I mean, we, we haven't gotten to the finish line with Dane Evans, and hopefully it's not even close to that. Yeah, there's a learning curve uh, with any new league that a player will join, and this is, let's face it, he's had four starts in the CFL. He's not blowing anybody away statistically, uh, and the win-loss record is 2-2. Two and two. Um, So, yeah, he, he's got to show me a lot more for me to consider this team to be a team that no one else can beat. I think, you know, as you suggested off the top, there's a bunch of teams that are, you know, really good. There's, a you know, three maybe even four teams if you want to throw in a fourth that are really bad. Uh, there's not much in between, really. And his numbers, just so people know, I mean, he threw for 300 yards on Saturday, 61.5% completion percentage, not bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's the, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me an awful lot of Jeremiah Masoli a couple of years ago when you yeah. put up some really good numbers and then when it comes time to get down to the red zone and punch the ball into the end zone, things start to go wrong. Yeah, and the only difference is between these two guys in their first few games of their career is Jeremiah Masoli was that run first, throw uh, second kind of quarterback, and he really developed, uh, especially under June Jones, into a guy who was just chucking the ball all over the yard and then would consider running the football if he got into trouble. Dane Evans really isn't that kind of flashy, kind of running quarterback. Uh, But yeah, Saturday was a great example of him throwing two interceptions in the end zone. I know that hasn't happened every game, but those points are crucial, especially when you get into that, that playoff crunch and that one you know, win or you're done scenario come the postseason. Uh, those uh, missed opportunities are going to come to bite them in the butt. And it looks right now, let me pull this thing up because uh, I want to get this right, but it looks right now very much like uh, – ten. yeah, like it very much is looking like the crossover is going to be a thing again – Again, and that would mean that, and the way it's looking right now, here's the stunning thing, is the team that Hamilton might end up, if if the season were to end right now, the team Hamilton would probably end up facing in a playoff game would be the Calgary Stampeders at home. That's, yeah, good luck with that. Well, I mean, they can, they can beat those guys. They've already shown sure. they can do it. But the East is generally awful, and you said, okay, if they only have to go through the East, they almost have a bye to the Grey Cup. The problem is they're not going to just have to go through the East to get to the Grey Cup, and they may get Saskatchewan, they may get Calgary, they could get Edmonton. Um, I suppose they could get Winnipeg, too, depending on how this thing goes, but, man, none of those are soft-touch teams, even at home. No, not at all, and, you know, uh, I guess the proviso would be, yeah, that Western team still has to get by presumably Montreal at this point. If the season were to end today, the Alouettes would host Calgary in that crossover playoff spot. Uh, and they just had one heck of a win over Calgary, a, a video review assisted win, I might add. But still, it was entertaining for the fans, much more entertaining than the Ticats Red Blacks game, that is for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Calgary, that's a team with Bo Levi Mitchell, especially returning uh, to quarterback in the next week or so. That's probably a game that Calgary should win. And then Calgary in Hamilton with the Ticats off the bye week after the Eastern uh, semifinal. Uh, who knows? Uh, this could be you know, that one-time scenario where Calgary's hitting their stride or whatever crossover team's hitting their stride. They catch the Cats flat-footed. Dane Evans doesn't have a good game. 
you know, th- th- that's a reality. I mean, the other flip side is this Ticats team finds its next gear offensively. Dane Evans becomes that guy, and they just waltz all the way to the yep. Grey Cup. I mean, that, that'd be best-case scenario. Yep. At this point, we just we just don't know. And that, I think, is not the most frustrating thing, but maybe the most interesting thing about the next nine games is how is this team, especially offensively, going to find that next level? I don't think there is anybody in the East who wants the schedule to or the standings to finish the way they are right now with Calgary fourth in the West holding the crossover spot because with Bo Levi Mitchell out, that's that to me is why they are where they are. And if he comes back with three or four games left and suddenly it, that that is not a fourth place team in the West if he is back and playing at full steam and now it becomes a big problem. But anyway, uh, but him coming back comes to the other issue, Rick, that uh, it's a broader issue with the CFL this year. They announced today that uh, Winnipeg is now, because um, Mike Nichols is going to be out for, he's on the six-game injured list, that is now seven of the nine starting quarterbacks in this league who are injured, or have been injured, who are out. And uh, the eighth one, Mike Riley, is only being held together by binding wire and duct tape right now. I mean, that guy, I don't know how he is still alive, let alone standing and still playing football. That guy has been taking an, a, just abuse all year, and it seems only a matter of time until he goes down. What do you, if you're the CFL, you've put in all kinds of rules to almost make this touch football for the quarterbacks. I, and I'm being, of course, a little exaggerating, but I mean, really, if you get too close, they do throw flags. What do you do, Rick, to keep these guys healthy? Because it seems like nothing works. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure what more they can do because it seems like, you know, a handful of plays in a game, there's a roughing the passer call because he's been, you know, hitting the ankle or below the knee or, uh, you know, a, a flailing kind of arm has hit the quarterback in uh, in the helmet, uh, neither of which would cause a serious injury on the play, but because this is now in the rule book, the officials are flagging it. I don't think defensive players have changed their game that much to protect the quarterback. They're still going to hit that guy as hard as they can. Now they're not hitting to injure. I would I would guess in most in most cases, but they're hitting to hurt. They're hitting to send a message. They're hitting to make sure that guy is uh, you know mentally uh, second guessing the next time you know this this player X you know turns the corner. At the end of the day, I don't think the CFL can do anything more other than really drastically changing uh, the rules and, and suggesting you can't hit the quarterback at all. And now you're completely changing yeah, the game. Yeah. And, and you, you don't want to go down that path. Well, everybody wants the starting quarterbacks to be in, but I don't think there's anybody that wants the quarterbacks to be untouchable. So you just like touch his shoulder pads or something to get him down. I mean, who. Yeah. Think, of, think of over the years the great quarterbacks of this league and how many of the moments, the highlight reel moments, are the ones where they've escaped from the pocket while someone grabbed onto them. Doug Flutie and, and Damon Allen. And I mean, pick your guy. Uh, pick your guy. I mean, Calvillo was never much of an escape guy but I mean a lot of these it's the it's the randomness the flailingness of the CFL that these great plays happen from we don't want to take that away and I don't recall quote unquote you know I'm using the air quotes you know back in the day when you know the Grover Covingtons and the Joe Monfords and uh, you know the, the Moscas and the Barrows were barreling after quarterbacks yeah these guys got hurt but you know were, were they missing you know most of the season year in and year out uh, I don't recall seeing that. You look at the statistical, uh, you know, annals of this game, and and the guys like Russ Jackson are playing twelve, thirteen, fourteen, uh, you know, fifteen games a season, and include playoffs in the whole bit. They they weren't missing 
a lot of action. So, I don't know, are, are quarterbacks not as tough as they used to be? Is oh, I don't think. much. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I mean, look, I think there, I think part of it is, and I've argued this, and people, this is a, it's a nutty suggestion. I understand that we will never do this because it would require risk. But I've argued in hockey, it's the same thing. We now have equipment that is so hard. It's not leather anymore. It's all hardened plastic, and we do it in hockey as well. If you were to go back to guys wearing just leather shoulder pads, you would pull up and you wouldn't hit guys because you know what? Hitting him would hurt you. Right now, you are in a shell that no matter how hard you hit someone, football or hockey, it does nothing to you, the the distributor of the hit. But if you put lighter shoulder pads, just leather or something on these guys, you want to drive your shoulder into somebody at full speed, you're going to hurt too. And eventually, very quickly, you'll go, I'll take him down, but I'm not going to crush him. This is why this stuff doesn't happen in rugby, Rick. Yeah, and and at the end of the day too, you know, players in the CFL and in the NFL – Compare them nowadays, body type. To, oh yeah. Again, back in the day, I mean, uh, Garney Henley was a very, you know, athletic, fast, uh, you know, intelligent player. But compare him to any safety or any cornerback in the CFL today, a Delvin Bro or a Tunde Adelike for a Ticats fan. I mean, the body type is completely different. These guys are much more muscular, much more faster. They hit harder. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what you do for the CFL. I mean, if you're the BC Lions, you don't want to give up 36 sacks in nine games. But, again, if you're the Edmonton Eskimos, you know, Trevor Harris is the other guy who hasn't been hurt today uh, among the star, or this year among the starting quarterbacks. They've given up, like, three or four sacks all season. So That's one way. That comes down to protection as well. But, yeah. But then Missoli goes and blows out his knee when nothing happens. So you Nothing happens. Uh, he, there are theories also that when you talk about all the muscularity and everything, that guys have become so big and so strong that they're putting extra stress on their joints, on their ligaments, on their tendons, which leads to injury. Who knows? Who knows why it is? I, I would, I look at rugby, I don't watch a lot of rugby or Aussie rules football or something, and I think, how in the world do those guys wearing basically no padding have anybody <laughs> yeah. left on the field at the end of the game? And the reason is, it goes back to my point, the reason is, because we haven't weaponized the tacklers. They are tackling, not hitting. And I know we love hitting in football. That's a, that's a big part of the game. And I think you would still keep that in if you were to take some of the weapon part off of the padding so that when you threw a tackle, when you threw a hit, you felt it too. I, I really believe that would help. Yeah, 100%. Uh, try to convince the CFLPA of doing Never. That now. Never, <laughs> never. Yeah. yeah, we're going to wear leather helmets next year to see if, because we don't want you to lead with your head. It's turn back the clock year, 2020 in the CFL. <laughs> well, and you know why the problem would be? 95% of guys, and again, we know this would never happen, but if you said we're going to do a test where we all wear leather helmets, 95% of the guys are going to go, okay, and they'll tackle with their shoulder and they'll just take yeah. a guy down. But there's that 5% that will go, I don't care. And they'll go in and just blast somebody with their head. And so there's always going to be some of that stuff. There always will be. But this league, I mean, look, you, you're right. You can't, you can't make it so that you just touch the quarterback. That's ridiculous. But you also, I don't think you're helping yourself by having none of those guys playing, especially when how many, Rick, who were the, of the guys who signed the big contracts this off season? All of them pretty much were quarterbacks, weren't they? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it, it was Mike Riley. Yeah, it was uh, Trevor Harris in Edmonton. Um, you know, Jeremiah Masoli got paid too. Uh, you know, th- these guys are the bread and butter 
they're not necessarily the guys that, you know, if you're thinking about watching a CFL game, you're thinking, wow, I got to go see this Mike Riley guy, or I got to go see this Boy Levi Mitchell. I think it's more the matchups in the CFL than anything. Uh, and that's good. But still, you know, these, these teams are paying a boatload of cash to these players and they're the best in the league right now. I don't think that the league wants these guys on the sideline at all. Who? Okay. So, I mean, you know, CFL exceedingly well, much more than the average person, but taking quarterbacks out of the mix, give me the top three guys that the average fan would say, I want to go to a CFL game to see player X, Y, and Z play. Who are those three players that are filling seats? I would say Brandon Banks for sure. Okay. Um, I would say Andrew Harris uh, with the Blue Bombers just because, you know, not only is he a Canadian guy, but he's a guy who just an brings player. you out of your seat. Yep. Um, and after that, I mean, I think it's a big discussion whether it's a guy like C.J. Gable because of his toughness, but I don't think anybody around the league's thinking, ah, i got to go see that C.J. Gable guy. i got to go uh, C.J. Uh, Gable gut block. Well, yeah. And he's terrific <laughs> at it. He's wonderful at yeah. it, and it's an important part of the game, but has anyone said, i got to go watch a guy block? Yeah, no. And the other guy to me, I think, would probably be an Eric Rodgers in Calgary just because he's such an athletic beast, um, another talented guy at, re- at the receiver position. But really, I mean, there, there's a handful of guys kind of in that in that uh, area code. For me, Banks and Harris are number one and two, and then the rest are kind of, you know, uh, further behind. But again, all the rest of the guys, if I was to say now name it with quarterbacks, probably the other five guys you would come to would all be quarterbacks. And most yeah. of them are all hurt. That's, it's a, it is a problem for the league. And, you know, this year I, I fully expect we got to go. I fully expect that what will happen is this year, at the end of this year, the league will chalk it up to just really bad luck that they all got hurt. But heaven forbid this happens again next year. Because then what? Yeah, that'd be tough. That, that, now you're having a real serious conversation. Touch football. You and I could play quarterback then. I couldn't throw very far. My shoulder's killing me, but you know. Well, if they're wearing leather helmets, I guess it would have to be touch football. <laughs> it would have to be something. <laughs> Rick Zamper, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, thanks. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.